Sounds and welcome, you're listening to the Sacred Footsteps podcast. Sacred Footsteps is an online publication and podcast devoted to alternative and spiritual travel, history and culture from a Muslim perspective. Join us while we talk to writers, historians, artists, as well as a whole host of other people about travel as a spiritual practice. This is the second episode in our Diaspora Voices sub-series, this time on Kashmir. Hosts Omar Rice and Moza Mir speak to AJ Plus senior producer Sana Saeed, student and poet Sanawani, and activist and teacher Hassan Yassin, all of whom are of Kashmiri descent. As this episode goes to air, Kashmir has been under a media blackout for more than a month. Right. So, yeah, um, because we're doing um, this episode from the perspective of the diaspora, um, we're not really going to talk about the um, sort of the politics and the history of the conflict as, as such. But just to um, give a quick recap, Muslim majority Kashmir was in this in the disputed was a disputed region during the partition of India in 1947. And although there has been um, UN resolutions calling for a Kashmir referendum regarding the future of the region at the time, um, no, no referendum has uh, yet to come to be. And uh, Kashmir remains one of the most militarized zones in the world where tensions in the Kashmir Valley are high. And um, atrocities over the last 30 years have gone unchecked. You can um, find more detailed accounts about this uh, via our website uh, with the article titled Torn Valley of Flowers. And the links for that will be provided in the show notes. Great. And with that, I want to start off the conversation by having brief introductions. If I can get all of you to introduce who you are, maybe just about what you do and where you reside, and we can start the conversation. So, uh, Hassan? Assalamualaikum, everyone. Um, my name is Hassan Yassin. I'm from England in Halifax. Um, I am currently a teacher in a school, and uh, yeah, and we are originally from, well, our family is quite mixed within Kashmir. So some of our families within the Mirpur district, um, some of it's in the um, very close to um, Srinagar. I don't want to say the location just for my family's own safety. Um, and there's some family in Ladakh as well. Sana uh, Saeed. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. My name is Sana Saeed. I am a Canadian currently residing in uh, Washington, D.C. I am a host and senior producer for AJ Plus, currently working on a show on pop culture, and um, in terms of kind of my uh, familial background, my family is originally from Srinagar um, and was one of, you know, hundreds or if not thousands of Kashmiri families that uh, during or right towards partition fled from uh, Srinagar to, uh, to Lahore by way of Amritsar. Uh, and so, um, yeah, that's my background. And Sanawani? Assalamualaikum. Uh, I'm Sana uh, Wani, and I'm uh, Canadian as well. Uh, currently residing in Toronto, born and raised here. Um, I'm just like an undergraduate student at the University of Toronto, studying the anthropology of Islam. And I am from Srinagar. Uh, my family currently still resides in Kashmir. We go back and forth. Um, yeah, that's me. Yeah, so I actually have a very, um, interestingly, I'm also of um, Kashmiri descent, and I actually seem to have, uh, just from what I just heard, I seem to have a similar, um, I seem to have some sort of a shared history with uh, Sana Saeed. Um, My family did also leave um, the valley, and uh, by way of Amritsar, uh, we relocated to Lahore briefly before we um, uh, joined the... uh, East African Railway Commissions, and and we um, ever since then have been residing in in Kenya. But I think that um, I think my, my 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 movement and my sort of mass migration happened much earlier than I think the partition. But it it, it was from the time of the Dogra persecutions, actually. Like, my grandmother still has stories that she heard from her grandfather about how um, they were saffron farmers and. Um, they uh, had to had to flee because of the um, Doga pro, pro, do, the uh, Dogra persecutions and you know the um, destruction of the farms and, and stuff and yeah it's it's just really sad I mean uh, at this stage that after all the, all this time things are things are only getting worse 
uh, in Kashmir, and we want to we want to ask more about your um, your personal roots in Kashmir and like your your as as children of the diasporas. What um, what 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 shared identities do you feel you have with Kashmiris living in Kashmir? Uh, from a personal perspective, um, we have we've had family residing on both sides of Kashmir for hundreds of years now. Um, our ancestry goes back to the Sultan dynasty when a lot of Scythians migrated from Tajikistan and uh, Uzbekistan down to Kashmir. We personally have not seen our family in since the partition. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had letters back and forth between both sides. And on the letters, um, we always get the same response in terms of the situation. And it's, you've seen the news, but we're okay. And within that okay, you can hear like th- more than a thousand screams. Because then you look at the news and you look at the region within which they're living in. And you look at what's going on. I mean, we, we lost around about six family members oh, in the 90s. Yeah. And the same response every single time because it's so, so, it's so harshly regulated by the Indian government. I mean, we lost six family members. We don't know what happened to them. But the same response every single time. But we're okay. And it's a forced response. Within that response, there's so many more emotions which they cannot express. And instead, if those emotions, they have to fill those gaps in because a layer can't just be I'm okay. So they have to tell them, tell us. Also, one of our students, one of our sons, has now gone to university, or one of our sons has done this. And then you realize that he's not speaking of one of the sons which is dead, which has passed away, um, or is missing. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think within our family, it's just like a lot of her. Um, which is a generational thing. Well, that's really harrowing. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so the question was, what do we feel, like, how do we feel connected to... Yeah, as children of the diaspora, Kashmiri. how do you, how, yeah. what, what, what similarities do you have that bind you with, um, with Kashmiris living in Kashmir at the moment? Well, there's the language. Like, my parents speak Kashmiri to each other mm-hmm. all the time, and, like, I grew up hearing the language, and... Have gotten to a stage where I understand the language. I think um, because of my privilege of still having a home there, uh, I get to spend like a month, sometimes three, uh, every year since I was a child going back. And that time was like precious because it's 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 my home. Like mm-hmm. I'm as much as I am Canadian and I feel like even when I go back to Kashmir, uh, the majority of me remains accustomed to the life I live here. That part of me or like the life that I live there is just as, uh, just as embedded in, in, uh, in some of the same contexts as Kashmiris. Like we eat the same food, we speak the same language, like, um, as much as there are the dif- the differences of course of, yeah, so, especially I, for you, I think like Sanawani, you were mentioning that you know you you go ha- you go to India um, every year for one to three months. Mm-hmm. You know, I can only imagine that like that kind of an exposure and that kind of sustained exposure to mm-hmm. uh, that part of the world and your family that resides there allows you to not only share but also witness their um, the, witness their mm-hmm. life over there and you know what what kind of conditions they're living in. Yeah, I just, like, I think that, uh, like, as much as I acknowledge, like, I am a child of the diaspora for sure, and I I reconcile with those privileges on my own terms, I think that for me and my family, um, it continues to be, like, it's it's a present issue. Like, the, the threat and the danger of it continue to exist in our lives. It's not something... Um, in our in our past, or so similar to what Hassan is saying about his family finding it difficult to not only communicate the horrors of their lives, but also you know finding ways to celebrate the positives and just how harrowing it is to balance that. For sure, I can understand that. So, Sana Said, you mentioned that your family left Kashmir very early by way of Amritsar. So, how do you think that? experience has been a part of your identity where you know you have these roots that are migratory 
how has that familial history translated into you know your identity and and the person that you've become today so it's a bit weird i guess for me to be on this panel because of the fact that i am um you know my family uh, migrated um you know like 70 75 years ago and i have never had the privilege of and the, the honor of visiting, um, you know, my familial home and region. And I was also born in Pakistan. Um, and there's this really kind, there's this, you know, kind of um, bitterness. And one of the many bitternesses of, or one of the many bitters of um, partition and that experience is that for a lot of us who, during the, that, that period in the 1940s in particular, whether it was right before the actual year of partition um, or the actual year itself, is that, during that, um, those moments where we were leaving our homes and neighborhoods, we lost a lot of our history. And with our history, we eventually lost our language and all these things. My grandparents were kids when they left. Um, so they weren't able to retain much of the language, if at all. Um, and so for me, you know, I don't unfortunately have that connection through language, which to me is one of the most important ways to remain uh, um, connected to a region, to a people, to a culture, is through the language, because language is the result of a community, a shared experience. But regardless of that, I grew up in an extremely proud Kashmiri family. Like my family, from, from as long as I could remember, you know, that was always kind of almost a primary identity after being Muslim, was like, you are... You're Kashmiri. Like, don't forget that. You're Kashmiri. Your homeland is Kashmir. Um, you know, that is where your roots are. And so for me growing up, it was just, you know, one day, inshallah, I'll get to visit Kashmir. And, you know, um, and I heard stories about my great great grandfather and what he did while living. You know, he was a mathematician in Srinagar and he taught at this particular school and did. So I had these very, very few stories far in between. Um, but, you know, it was like little nuggets that I was always able to hold on to. And in the last few years in particular, I've kind of taken, I took on much more of a political interest in um, in Kashmir. I always, I mean, I always was very much so aligned politically, but um, I think much more kind of like, wait, I need to understand this a lot better. Right. Um, so like, what can I do as someone who is, uh, you know, um, that is like, you know, my ancestral homeland and... Um, you know, when I, when I see people from Kashmir in Kashmir, like I see family as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, it's like, given the position of privilege that I have in the media in particular, and given the work that I've also done in, you know, for instance, I've been very involved in issues of Palestinian solidarity. And so I obviously see those, um, similarities, um, which absolutely matter and the linking of those struggles, uh, you know, I'm like, all right, how can I better use this, these positions of privileges that I do have to kind of elevate in my own networks, you know, the narratives um, that Kashmiris who are, um, you know, in Kashmir and those who have direct uh, links still to Kashmir, how can I elevate the narratives that they're trying to push out as well, which is kind of what I've been also trying to do in the last little while. Mm -hmm. So I think what you've touched on is the sense of belonging that you still feel, even though you may not have direct linkages that are in Kashmir anymore, you know, nor have you been able to visit. But despite that, your identity is still very Kashmiri. As you said, you grew up in a proud Kashmiri family. And I can definitely relate to that as a child of the diaspora living in the West. Um, you know, there often tends to be these clumping together of identities that happens where, you know, pushed into one group of, you know, those brown people. And and South Asia is often seen as one big group. So, you know, I wanna I wanna try to get some of your perspectives on how is it that you try to mm, distinguish or assert your Kashmiri identity first, if at all, and then, you know, negotiate some of your other identities. I can I think I have a good answer to this. Um, yeah, go ahead, Tana. I, so I went to high school in Saudi Arabia, um, and there's a complicated culture there um, relating to uh, even the diaspora to the Gulf from South Asia, and it ends up being like a a, a, dif a different kind of race issue, right? And it's it's very it's, it has similarities to here, where again 
South Asians and brown people are all sort of bunched together. And there's even a derogatory term that I'm very familiar with, which is, um, which, which was used um, against me and against other brown kids in, in my high school by other I think Arab I know kids. exactly what you're talking about because yeah. I was also given that as I grew up in Saudi Arabia as well. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so the problem is that it's not, it wasn't just that. It was also um, from other brown kids. It's like, it's like there's the network outside of brown kids, right? And then inside of brown kids as well there was the sense of like, I, I think I had like, a it, it's particular to my context again, but um, there was a lot of like, especially as a Kashmiri, as I think the only Kashmiri in my high school, there was a lot of also tension from the Pakistani kids who were, who were around me being like, like laying claim to Kashmir. And it resulted in a lot of incidents where I, I felt like I was like, I'm pretty sure I was being bullied. Like it was, it was very painful to not only have um, the Arab kids, certain Arab kids put that generalizing label on you, but on top of that, to have um, like your own, to a certain extent, like brown kids, kids who you feel like should be giving you solidarity also layering that by like trying to claim you in a weird way um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i completely get that um and i think you know do you think that that had some kind of an effect in reasserting like i said that kashmiri identity and negotiating the rest for sure for sure like i just like the biggest memory that you provoked was like in high school debate club like I remember this one day where like a bunch of parents even came out to watch the debate and like I just broke down because the other it was about Kashmir the debate oh. and the other team yeah I know <laughs> and the other team was just Pakistani kids and then it was me and like a white a couple of white kids and a couple of Arab kids and I was like it was it was just one of the most like taxing moments of my of like that time in my life and I just think of like I, I, of course, there's pain, but I'm also grateful to it because I think it made me realize, like, the ways that not just inter internationally, but but within our own subcontinent, the way the tensions work, and yeah. And Hassan, I'd like to hear from you on this question as well because you know you mentioned that your family is still in Kashmir, so you know how do your identities and your politics? continue to connect back to Kashmir while living in the UK because sometimes separating the personal from the political can be almost impossible. So how do you think that factors into when you're, you know, disconnected and living in the UK? Um, I think to begin with the political aspect of it is, I feel like it's very much hijacked by uh, Pakistanis and Indians um, in the sense that um, when, when the Kashmiri agenda comes up, I mean, I was at a protest in London just recently, yeah. and uh, it was very much the media coverage was very biased towards propagating the fact that Kashmir will be part of Pakistan. Um, and as whilst I was growing up as well, um, it was like the, we instead of saying Kashmiris, they refer to us as different kind of ethnicities. So if you're from mm -hmm. Gilgit, you're Gilgiti. If you're you're from Jammu, you're from Jammu, you're mostly going to be Hindu. If you're from Srinagar, then they're like, oh, you are you're most likely proper Kashmiri. If you're from the Mirpur district, like, oh, well, you don't speak kosher, you don't speak Kashmir language, so you're not really Kashmiri, you're more Punjabi. It's like, and then if you're from Ladakh, you're more like towards the Tibetan side. So it's, right. like, it's like society is trying to break down our kind of identity in itself. Um, right. And, and I, I think, think, I just want to quickly yeah. point out, Sana Saeed actually, you know, had uh, a Twitter thread on uh, hashtag how to cover Kashmir. And one mm -hmm. of the first things that she mentioned thankfully, is that it's not an India or Pakistan issue that uh, is part of it, but Kashmir has had its own struggle that predates the existence of both of these countries. Without doubt. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and yeah, reducing it dehumanizes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have been an independent state well before um, the Sultan dynasty. I mean, we have, we have our own kind of culture which was developed during that dynasty as well, where there was a culture of acceptance under um, what, what the Hindus they refer to as uh, Nondarishi, and the Muslim refer to as Sheikh Nuruddin Wali, who propagated, uh, who was a poet and a Sufi, uh, and he propagated a culture of acceptance and 
um, acceptance within each within the diverse uh, like uh, society which is Kashmir and we we had a very very like accepting culture and we mm -hmm. had a shared language as well which was slowly taken away from each region one by one mm -hmm. um, and our dress sense as well I mean the more set, the more like isolated areas have managed to maintain it I mean we had our own currency as well uh, we've been we were a vassal state for most of, of our history after the Sultan dynasty when the mm -hmm. Mughals took over, we maintained our uh, maintained a vassal state. Uh, the Duranis of Afghanistan gave us a vassal, a vassal status. The Sikhs gave us a vassal status. So you obviously have a very thorough understanding of the history of Kashmir and and the region overall. So I can only imagine that factoring in not only into your politics but also in this you know struggle of preserving your own identity as a Kashmiri. So what may matter to you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is asserting that part of your history first without doubt because very often we we just muddled into the whole or you're all from the subcontinent mm -hmm. uh, to begin with we have multiple ethnicities within kashmir, within kashmir itself. and yeah within kashmir itself you can't clump us in there and like they say like kashmir was like the highway it was a highway the karakoram the karakoram highway goes through kashmir as well is is it was a highway between different different civilizations Mm -hmm. The Scythians went through it. The Han of the Chinese went through it. It was the main route for the Silk Road. Um, mm -hmm. The Persians came through. Um, the Arabs came through. Everyone would travel through Kashmir. We have a very distinct identity, which is being, which is being dubbed down by a lot of a lot of people within our society. Like if you say to a Pakistani, "I'm Kashmiri. I want to be separate," straight away they'd be like, "No, who? What do you mean you're Kashmiri?" Are you from Are you from Zafrabad? Are you from Gilgit? Are you from Mirpur? Are you Are you from Are you from Srinagar? Uh, or are you from Ladakh? Okay, so then it's like what they do is they segregate you into smaller pieces, and it's a shame because of recent our society has become very much towards our prerogative because of a lack of education, because of a lack of understanding of our old Sufi saints, such as Sheikh Nuruddin Wali, who literally set, set the foundation for future Kashmiri societies. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so I, I feel like it's be. Uh, I mean, it's very hard to maintain your identity, Kashmiri identity, within this modern society. A lot of the youth have not maintained it. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I I want to ask, what are what are the would you say are the common misconceptions then that people have uh, about um, you know Kashmiri culture and Kashmiri identity that you think are are quite rampant? Um, I feel like a lot of our Kashmiri culture has been dubbed down around the like outskirts of Kashmir. Um, so as a result, um, they don't not necessarily follow the same norms as the ones which are more segregated. Um, and I feel like they have a lot of stereotypes in the sense of the language of Kashmir. Like, because kosher was the predominant language within all of Kashmir, but it's not anymore because of the like because of the heavy influence from uh, Punjab due to the Dogra and the Sikh Empire, due to um, influence from India, due to the Mughals who uh, propagated like uh, uh, Dari, which was a smaller, like an early form of Urdu. Um, yeah, so I feel like the Kashmir identity is it, there's no real set portrayal of what Kashmir identity is. I think it's more based on um, on like an imagination. From an external perspective, that is. So you'd say there's actually no Kashmiri culture because Kashmiri culture is such a diverse thing. I would definitely say so, yeah. There are coherent values within Kashmiri culture, but I feel like the modern Kashmiri is very, very diverse. And that's something which we have to accept now as Kashmiris due to our previous rulers and uh, and, and like uh, because we, had, we don't really have the communication which we would have had in the past. Within our within our country, I would say our country. Um, because of the political so situation. Yeah, due to the political situation, not only now, but under the Dogre, under the Sikhs, under the Duranis of the Afghans, under the Mughals. I think I feel like our we have we have strong values, values which such as like acceptance, which was instigated by um, our old Sufis, um, a, a, a culture of like mysticism or Sufism. Not only by the Muslims, but the Buddhists, by the um, the uh, Hindus, the Pandits. Um, I think that's something which we can all unite along. 
I don't think we can unite along our dress sense anymore because it's so diversified. Gilgit has a different dress sense. Um, Srinagar has a different dress sense. Jammu has a different dress sense. Ladakh has a different dress sense. So I think setting norms to it, it would be ignorant of us because then we would be segregating and excluding people who consider themselves Kashmiri. So Sanawani, um, you mentioned that, I mean, you, you did feel sort of clumped uh, together with a wider uh, South Asian group when you were at high school and you did feel sort of bullied by uh, the Pakistanis that you went to high school with. What what what, what do you feel the the misconceptions that, that people had about Kashmiris uh, were within your, um, within your experience? Well, I would say first and foremost that the primary misconception is that all Kashmiris want to be a part of Pakistan. There's that. The second one would be, I think that there is, to a certain extent, like, um, a bit of a propagation of, like, uh, an exotic narrative, like an exoticizing, almost fetishizing narrative about Kashmir. The fair skin one? The fair skin one? No, not just, well, that, obviously, about Kashmiri women, 100%. But what I, that's linked more to a general fetishization of Kashmir. Um, Like, even, not to not to look down on it, but even the article that you mentioned at the beginning, Torn Valley of Flowers, was it? Yeah, yeah. Like, like it, it's the it's the labeling that is that that is done in certain ways at a in a in a certain like amount. That, so, like this um, idea of paradise on earth, or right. You know, right, okay, yeah, that that breeds a kind of desire for the land, which of course the two nation states. Um, like maybe three that are fighting over it um but also i would say that that's a that that is a misconception of course kashmir is beautiful of course the land is beautiful but kashmiri people are just people um just like most places and they have their own sets of like food language culture values whatever um so that would be the second one that this this narrative of of exoticization and fetish that has like resulted um, that comes from the gaze of other other mm-hmm. nation states probably um, yeah those are the two I think. that's so interesting to me because you know I feel like there is a lot of exoticization of Kashmir in the media like like paradise on earth or Paradise Has Fallen, or, you know, Kashmir Caged, which is the title of the report that just recently came out from John Rees. Um, so you're absolutely right that that does take place. So Sana Said, you know, as as somebody who is in the media, how do you think that plays into how the media covers and is covering not only the situation on the ground today, but also like the cultural programming on Kashmir? Have you seen a lot of examples of that or is that, you know, sporadic? Well, I mean, I think what's interesting is, first of all, like absolutely what Sanawani said, um, the second point in particular about this fetishization of Kashmir and Kashmiris as a people, right? So um, I think that's really, really important because uh, both Pakistan and India do it um, in terms of when it comes to, uh, you know, this idea of the land is just desirable because the people themselves are also desirable. We also saw in kind of when Article um, 370 was revoked, there were all these kind of comments coming out, not only on Twitter, but also on Indian television, where people were making, people, uh, men in particular in India were making really, certain men in India were making really disgusting comments about, well, now I can marry a Kashmir wife. Now I can go there and get myself. And, and, you know, it's really uneasy and disgusting kind of this idea of, um, um, which is rooted in Kashmir itself is desirable and the women are desirable in particular and that the land must be conquered and the women should be conquered as well. Um, in terms of the media coverage, I think there is, I haven't seen it as much, but there definitely is like this, when you see Kashmir described the way that it is spoken about, it is spoken about like lush valleys and water and rivers that run in the mountains. And I mean, it's now being a journalist, being someone who's in this industry, I also know how important it is that when you're telling a story that you need to have, um, especially if you're trying to build empathy in some way and understanding, it's also important to, um, to, to bring the reader into and visualizing like 
here is this beautiful land, right, um, which maybe hasn't been so touched by rapid urbanization the way we've seen it in other maybe parts of the same region or elsewhere. Um, and now imagine 700,000 or 800,000 troops stationed across this valley or across this area, right? So that creates a really powerful uh, image uh, and narrative. But at the same time, it does fuel this idea, again, of paradise on earth, so on and so forth. Um, so I don't know. It's tough because I have seen that. Um, and the way that sometimes titles are, are titles for articles or for even books are kind of framed in exoticizing Kashmir. But in particular, I would say with coverage, American coverage in particular, that I've been uh, American, Canadian and uh, UK, I haven't been following as closely. But those particular, I haven't seen as much of an exoticization, um, which is a good thing, obviously. Um, but I do, I, I do think like when you see it, it's oftentimes used as this device of um, of painting a, a, a picture for the reader who's unfamiliar with the region as well. I was just going to say, like, do you think that that narrative, uh, that you know, that contrast that those images create, that you know, lush valleys to seven hundred thousand soldiers, do you think that the the, the concept of not the concept, but like the overall culture of Kashmir is kind of reduced to just uh the two images that it's either these you know what what people might assume farmers are you know you know just people in the context of those luscious valleys or the people that are oppressed to oppressed by the soldiers there is there no in between do you think in the media well there is no in between because there is no kashmiri representation right like mm -hmm. there is no when when a people are presented in only a certain context, right? So with Kashmir, Kashmir is oftentimes, if it's ever discussed, it's always discussed in the context of India and Pakistan are at it again, or mm -hmm. tensions rise, or India issues a terror uh, alert, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, from Kashmiri, you know, quote unquote, Kashmiri militants. It's mm -hmm. always in the context of um, violence, right? Mm -hmm. Is when we hear about Kashmir, if we hear about it. Um, very, uh, and, and, and when you do hear about any other kind, it's like, oh, it's beautiful. And that beauty is always used to juxtapose the violence that is, is present and is a part absolutely of, of, of Kashmiri history and narrative and struggle. But, um, but you don't see this kind of celebration or, um, uh, uh integration of Kashmiri cultures, I'll say, instead of culture, Kashmiri cultures, um, in a way that can show that you know, Kashmiris are also just people, you know, um, just like within other parts of the subcontinent, um, you know, everyone has their own distinct culture and history. They're, you know, just calling them Asian or South Asian is is really an injustice. Um, but because we don't have that sort of Kashmiri representation in the media, in um, literature in the same way that maybe other parts of, um, uh, 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 you know, the, the subcontinent have, um, yeah, you only get two representations and the primary representation being one that's framed within violence. Mm -hmm. I do want to ask you just because I, I do think that, you know, we touched on this very early in your part of the story where you said that, you know, you feel weird being on this panel because you don't, unlike the other two panel or three panelists, may not have direct linkages in, um, in Kashmir. So, you know, you mentioned growing up and uh, very removed from that. How do you think that, you know, this idea of what Sanawani mentioned, this like, you know, uh, longing for a homeland, that preserving that part of your identity. How, like, you know, what were some of the steps that you took to understand your community and, and heritage better? Um, do, by my community, you mean the Kashmir community? Uh, yes. I mean, for me, so like, like one of the earlier questions you asked was kind of how do you negotiate your different identities? And for me, it's always... When someone is like, oh, what's your background? It's it's like, I hate that question only because I'm like, oh, there we go. <laughs> so because much to explain. Yeah, like, I get that one it's as well. So much. It's, exactly. It's so much to explain. But also, like, I'm, I'm not going to put up a front. And, you know, so I'm like, well, I'm Pakistani because that's where I was born. Um, and then but I all but I do like to add the, you know, caveat. I'm like, I'm Pakistani Kashmiri origin. Um, because that identity is extremely important to me because it has been, I mean, that's, that's what I've been saying for as long as I can remember. So, um, you know, there's, there's that. Um, and at the same time, like I hold, a, I hold very different views from a lot of 
Pakistanis as well when it comes to the issue of Kashmir, um, including people in my own family who, you know, obviously, like I said, my family has now been in Pakistan for over 75 years. So obviously, you know, state propaganda takes its uh, toll mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. So, and also the sense of belonging, your sense of belonging changes when you've been born and raised and grow old in a particular country. So um, for me, like I do hold very different perspectives on the issue of Kashmir from other Pakistanis, which always makes for very, um, very uh, interesting conversations because I think a lot of them don't necessarily expect me to to take on those the mm-hmm. idea that I also believe in, you know, the Kashmir should determine for themselves and independence and so on and so do forth. You, do you ever um, get like, um, no. do you ever get like, oh, uh, you don't have a right to say what Kashmiris should or shouldn't do because you're, you don't even live in Kashmir. You live in uh, Pakistan or you live in Canada. So you can't really, you can't, you're not allowed to have a, a voice about this. Oh, absolutely. And they're right in the sense that I, I don't, that's why I don't say I'm speaking on behalf of Kashmiris. I don't, or, or I don't try to position myself in that way. My interest is in how do I amplify the atrocities that are being committed against Kashmiris, that the, the history of that struggle, the narratives that are coming from Kashmiris themselves about um, their own uh, relationship with the land and their and their struggle and for the fight for independence, for Azadi. Um, <laughs> so I never tried to, which is why I was also ambivalent about being initially on the panel, because I'm like, I'm not... You know, um, I'm not Kashmiri in the sense that I have a direct relationship where I can go back to Kashmir like tomorrow or something. Um, you know, I have a home there or anything of that sort. I don't have family that I know of in the region. Um, so for me, it's like I, I definitely do. It's weird because like I do feel like I've been going to, you know, local Kashmiri meetings and things like that. And I have a lot of friends who are Kashmiri who are from Srinagar and elsewhere. And and I know that they don't see me as Kashmiri in the same way, which mm. is fine, but it's weird too. Cause I'm like, Oh, but I totally relate to you guys in so many ways, yeah. Um, yeah. but it's fine. Like I understand it because identity and community is, is, is convoluted and confusing and complicated and complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, um, and then the same with Pakistanis, like I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that sometimes my own Pakistani friends will say on the issue of Kashmir as well. Um, so I'm like, Oh, I really don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, what's where I've kind of gotten really comfortable is like, okay, how can I help? Like I have a very particular position of privilege that I've been mm-hmm. blessed with. How can I do my part, um, mm-hmm. to not only learn about the history of my family and my peoples and everything, but also how can I elevate, um, and amplify kind of this this narrative and the story of Kashmir to an audience that is utterly ignorant of of what's happening and what has happened. So that's that's kind of how right. I I deal with all that. So unfortunately, due to scheduling restrictions, um, Sana Said has to uh, leave us here. And Sana, I do want to thank you so much for joining the conversation and giving us your time. Um, I definitely feel like there's a lot of value add hearing from the perspective of a media personality like yourself, who's somebody who's in the media to see, to begin understanding some of the nuances of how Kashmir is covered in the media. So thank you very much. So, so I, wanna, I think actually, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, actually, I wanted to um, take that question that I just asked Sana Sayed to, um, to Hassan and uh, Sana Wani. Are you, do you guys ever get get the statement from from anybody in particular or um, at all that you know you're british and you're canadian so you don't really have any right to say uh what Kash- what, what should be done about kashmir and um you know what the future of kashmir should be mm-hmm. yeah um i mean i get it all the time when you speak out when you speak out and you speak to an indian and you speak to a pakistani uh, straight away there's the assumption because because of the years of indoctrination by the dogra our family has lost out on a lot of is Kashmiri well the the assumed Kashmiri values which would have been coherent within our society? I mean the our family on the Indian administrative side they do, but we don't necessarily as much. Um, so like just some of the elders you know kosher, uh, the younger generation don't know as much, etc. Um, so it's like oh well you don't speak the language or you're from a district which speaks more like. Uh, a, um, a tongue which is more relatable to Punjabi, so you're not really Kashmiri. Um, you, you you're in Britain. You, it's like a straight assumption that Kashmiris are Pakistan, and there's an assumption that we um, 
we don't get a say in a lot of things because it's basically they split us up into small segregated areas and they say, well, okay, you're not Kashmiri because of this, you're not Kashmiri because of this, uh, you're Pakistani or you're, you're of this identity, so you don't really get a say. Um, then when you speak of the independence, because there's so much ignorance around it, they're like, what do you mean you're going to have independence? You're just, you're just an issue between India and Pakistan. You're, there's no such thing as a Kashmiri identity, really. We just It's just an issue which we're having because India tried to take over Kashmir. Like, that's just the assumption amongst Pakistanis, and similarly amongst Indians, it's the same assumption. Um, they don't understand our history. They don't understand the society which was living within Kashmir prior to occupation. They don't understand... Um, they don't, they don't understand the language, the currency, the clothing which we had, which, which separated us from other cultures within the subcontinent. And I wouldn't even necessarily say we were part of the subcontinent. But do you get this, um, apart from, from Indians and from Pakistanis, do you also sort of get this, um, uh, this conflict from fellow Kashmiris so from back home, perhaps if you... If you without speak- doubt, without doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like um, when you speak to a lot of Kashmiris, the, the, because um, education has been limited within Kashmir around their own identity, within their own history, they don't really understand. So they've been uh, they've been educated with like um, narratives of uh, your your Pakistani or like um, or within Jammu, Jammu, Jammu and Kashmir is more like you. They don't really have that. They don't really have that background of history around their own culture. So it's just like a fight for, it's not really, it's more, yeah, so it's more like they don't understand the concept of their own identity anymore, a lot of them. So they straight away, they'll be inclined to say, no, 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 we're Pakistan, it's about Pakistan, we're fighting for, for, to get to Pakistan, or, or, we, or we're like, we're, we're fighting because we're being um, oppressed. Well, we're also fighting for our own identity. It's not just because the Indian army is oppressing us, or the Pakistanis are annexing half our region. It's because we, our identity is being destroyed and it's coherent within when you have conversations with Kashmiris within Kashmir who don't understand their own identity and they don't understand the culture I wish they've come from. Right. Sorry, could I, could I respond to that for a moment? Of course, yeah, of course. I'm just like, I'm wondering about what you mean when you repeatedly say like they don't understand their identity or they don't understand their mm. culture. And where are you drawing like where are you drawing the map of Kashmir? I completely agree with you on the regions yeah. of that used to be part of Kashmir that mm. are now changed. Like you mentioned yeah. Jammu, right? And I recently yeah. learned about how Jammu's entire demographic, similarly to how they're trying to do now to Indian occupied Kashmir, um, mm. Jammu's whole demographic was changed. Jammu also spoke Gushir, like um, Jammu yeah. was also majority Muslim, and I totally agree with you on that front. But I also don't think I think it's a fallacy to try to 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 try to say that Kashmiris don't understand their own culture or don't understand their own heritage or that the youth mm. don't get this education because there's like so many other factors that go into that where mm. simply trying to put it on them doesn't make sense. Like, and I no. also, I, like, um, I also think that there is still that dress, that dress still exists, the food mm. still exists, the language is still spoken. I'm yeah. one of the youth. I still speak the language. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Like, no, of course I understand. Yeah, that. Yeah. Just ignorant of me to um, like label the whole the whole mm-hmm. situation. Um, it isn't. It is. It, I would say it's the majority from my experience, but mm-hmm. maybe a minority from your experience because of your perspective and where mm-hmm. you've been. Because I haven't had the luxury of really communicating as much with my family in the Indian and Mr. Kashmir. I'm, talking more on behalf of people within Azad Kashmir. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I've seen there is uh, where it is like yeah, where there's been a Punjabification of Azad Kashmir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. been a huge Punjabification within Azad Kashmir. Okay, within that makes, India. Yeah. yeah, sorry. That makes sense. I'd, I'd, I have no idea about Azad Kashmir and I was also of a little course, bit... Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. is, this just proves the complexity of, of the region. I mean, you, you have that, Kashmiris oh, yeah. Yeah, on the panel who don't necessarily understand the entire Kashmir. That's, that's, that just proves um, uh, the points that we've been trying to make. So, Sana, I really appreciate you making that point because I think when you factor in the dias- diasporic experiences, again, it can influence your own ability on the ground to understand their culture, you know, heritage and history. So I'd like to ask you when you go there every year, how do you think 
that you have seen or observed the changes taking place on the ground in Indian-occupied Kashmir? Is there what Wazam and Hassan have described an equivalent to the Punjabification like in Pakistan-administered Kashmir and the stripping away of authentic Kashmiri culture or even the splitting hairs into, you know, your Gilgiti or your Baltistani? Do you think that that kind of stripping away of culture in Indian-occupied Kashmir also is almost like a byproduct of the political situation or is there some kind of modernization taking place? Um, I definitely think that this this um, idea that Hassan mentioned of like the multiplicity of Kashmiri identity is definitely present. Um, right. There's definitely like, there's Gujar, there's Bakarwa, there's different kinds of Kashmiris within Kashmir who might not also, like I don't think Gujar people even, or Bakarwal people even identify as Kashmiri and have their own differences with Kashmiris. Um, so I definitely think it's it's not just a result of of partition or just their situ- like the situation of how history played out. Um, and then to answer your question of like, what have I seen based on the ground, like of the, of the, the factors that are affecting the youth, I think you were mm-hmm. asking. Like, this is what um, what I was thinking about particularly, is just the, um, the, the youth, especially the young men of Kashmir, mm-hmm. Indian-occupied Kashmir, mm-hmm. there is just like, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. It's more than a desire. It's like... Um, a ferocity almost to to do something and that often leads to right the protests and i read a quote somewhere by someone saying like now that this has happened the abrogation of 370 like boys are just willing to to step forward like willing to sacrifice their whole bodies in, to a certain extent for this sense of like kashmiriness um right even when I was leaving, like the, the image that, that has stuck with me the most has been like these lines of boys that mm-hmm. it was curfew who were just sitting outside and sitting on the sidewalk. And to think of how, yeah, but not, not yet protesting, maybe protesting silently. Defiance. They were just sitting. Yeah, they were just sitting there with their elbows on their knees on the sidewalk, not talking to each other in a line. And like, that image just like keeps returning to me because it show it it reminds me that like these boys have had to grow up mm-hmm. in in a situation and in a culture that has like demanded of them things mm-hmm. that boys should not be demanded of like those boys should be like playing cricket or in school or doing other things and instead we're they're stuck in this situation which is like mm-hmm. unreasonably taxing on them and unreasonably occupies them with certain kind of like demands or or its own histories like mm-hmm. it's it's so detrimental you're, so you're saying that there's almost like a stripping away of culture that cannot be controlled that you know this uh, whatever it is whether it's the loss of youth the loss of innocence or the loss of culture in general there is some sort of um, externality that can't be escaped is that what yeah well you obviously you lose culture when you lose people right and how many people have died or disappeared in the last 70 years in indian occupied kashmir Mm -hmm. i think the other day i read the the latest number is like six hundred thousand. i don't know like Mm -hmm. more than makes sense Right. You know this this whole thing about like the ferocity. I I I remember I I follow somebody on on Instagram in the last cricket World Cup after um after India left the tournament after the, after India got out. I was actually uh, on Instagram and I was watching some stories that were coming out of Kashmir from from people I know and there was this huge sort of like defiance of like you know Kashmiris celebrating in 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 the streets and stuff and so I asked this one guy I was like um you know aren't aren't you aren't you scared about 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 doing this now that India is out isn't it a bit risky and the response I got in 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 response to that was we are Kashmiris born to die and that Mm -hmm. sent yeah that 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 gave me goosebumps because I mean as a Kashmiri I mean I, I I understand the the, the 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 desire for for um you know f- for independence and f- and for security and for homeland but i don't know how i could possibly relate to that that degree of desperation and it just breaks my heart because you're right i mean it, it does destroy your culture because it destroys your life so i mean your culture goes with it as well 
I'm just linking on to what you were saying, Muslim. It's actually quite dangerous at the moment as well because these youth do feel like they need some sort of leadership. But the, our leadership is being like detained. Um, and in the past, anyone who's even spoken out has been like has been got rid of. So mm-hmm. it's like at the moment, like more liberal voices are being detained. Like I would say, like especially with the frustration that they've got. Um, Yasin Malik is a, a prime example of someone who was towards the military side and then he went towards more political side and now he's being detained. I mean, it, what what we could see happening in the coming days is a more extremist wing rising up within Kashmir, which is really, really dangerous for within our own society. So I feel that's a very good segue into the question that I want to ask, which is, what do you think is your own personal responsibility? You know, Sana Saeed has been very vocal and clear about what she feels is her responsibility. You know, her um, her opinion is that as a person in the media, she wants to amplify Kashmiri voices and frame the coverage from a, a Kashmiri-centric perspective rather than an Indian or a Pakistani perspective. So, Sanawani, you know, as a as an artist, as a poet, how do you think your art and artistic explorations have influenced you to bring Kashmiri culture and voices to the front? Well, like, I was just, I was thinking this morning in the car, like, what else can I do? Like, mm-hmm. as a Kashmiri who, is, who still has my, like, most of my family there, who still has the privilege of being able to go back, like, when this whole debacle started and I started to speak out, my dad and I had a conversation and even with him, I could sense that, like, every Kashmiri, especially, especially in my opinion, Kashmiris who are from the Indian-occupied side, have just this, like, relentless obsession with with making sure that we speak out, um, no matter what the cost is. So as much as it is biased, like, I just have not... It's the only thing that helps with the sense of helplessness that happens in, in in incidents and moments like we are experiencing right now, where there's the communications blackout. And like, I guess my artistic endeavors are are driven by my Kashmiriness because I'm driven by my Kashmiriness. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not. It's not extricable. Um, it's not presented. It's always there. It's it's. Um, it's always sort of a part of what I'm thinking about or how it shapes how I'm thinking. We mentioned language. Like one of my greatest privileges is the fact that I still hold on to the language and the stories that are present in there and the stories that are, that are still present in, in Kashmir. um, I take really seriously. I take it as an obligation that Mm -hmm. no matter what the cost is to me and with the consent of my family, no matter what the cost is to us, we've all agreed that like this matters more. Um, In like the new year, I have a project that Mm -hmm. thankfully I'm going to be able to pursue, which is going to be collecting Kashmiri oral histories. And like, I know what that means. I know what that Mm -hmm. might mean for my family, especially if I want to tell that, that account truthfully, like the kind of violences and the kind of erasures that are going to go into that. Um, But it's just, it's always something that we're willing to risk. It's just Mm -hmm. always something that, that matters more. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, Sana, have Kashmiri artists that you look up to or where your reference points or even your entry points to begin understanding Kashmir and Kashmiri identity? Um, I absolutely. Primarily, like, first and foremost would be um, one of my uh, my nana, so my, my maternal grandfather, his brother. His youngest brother was an artist, a visual artist, as well as a poet sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, Shuja Nana. And Shuja Nana, his stories, like, the stories that I was able to receive through them... Um, mm-hmm were again like what I held on to and what shaped what meant what was Kashmiri to me right mm. like going back to Hassan's point of multiplicity I think my nana is actually like half Punjabi whatever like wherever that was at the time when he was growing up right and like irregardless of that what I was able to see through Shuja Nana who grew up in Srinagar who would like run away to the mountains to like paint um, as a child <laughs> like through him, I was able to understand 
what Kashmiri was was to me. Um, wow. And then, of course, like through Aga Shahid Ali, who's yeah, um, a course. really famous, of course, right? Mm-hmm. A famous, famous, famous um, Kashmiri American poet. Uh, so him as well. So that's and, and through my family, like, mm. like I think understanding Kashmiriness has always been a understanding my family, understanding our ancestry. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, Hassan, same question. Like, were there, you know, uh, notable Kashmiris that were responsible for you, you know, the, um, really kind of adopting and asserting your Kashmiri identity? Any any notable figures that come to mind? I think within myself, it was my own family, um, which really asserted the whole value of Kashmiriness. Um, my grand, my great grandfather was a poet. Um, my father was very involved with the whole um, Kashmiri independence movement. My family within Indian Kashmir, we had pretty good contact with them until around about 2010, where it really died out. Um, they really like motivated me as well when I read through those letters. Um, when I got, got, to, got to talk to some of our elders and how they were talking of how they're losing their identity and stuff. Um, I don't think it was any particular person within Kashmir which really motivated me. I think it was more my family and how we insti- how how they instigated that identity within myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of how how I would recommend um, we should go forward mm-hmm. is we need to invest as Kashmiris in Kashmiri organizations mm-hmm. which which uh, we, which represent us. I mean, like. I think externally, like Luxury Taiba are now making um, making comments on how they're going to support the Kashmiris. This isn't a Muslim issue. It's not a Muslim issue. It's a Kashmiri issue. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are trying to move away from, uh, trying to take care away from that. Um, under Sheikh Abdullah, uh, sorry, yeah, Sheikh Muhammad Abdullah, when the uh, in in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, when there was the um, fight for independence against the Dogre. Um, the the Hindus were with them, the Buddhists were with them, the Muslims were all fighting for independence together. It was not a religious thing. And mm-hmm. I think we need to make sure that these people don't try and take it away from that. They can't, we can't let it become a religious thing. We cannot let it be hijacked by extremists within the Islamic society who mm-hmm. are going to then um, go into Kashmir like they did um, in the 80s and the 70s. And mm-hmm. they drove out a lot of like uh, Hindus who were uh, who residing in Kashmir for yeah, mm-hmm. pandits who were residing in Kashmir for thousands of years. I think it's estimated around about 150,000 to 300,000 were driven out. And then what the, what that has done is, as a result, is it has kind of made a bad perception within Indian society as well, where they're mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, wait a Hindus aren't accepted in Kashmir society." When they are, I, from my personal experience, they're very much accepted. It's just external elements which came in. Sorry, no, I just totally agree. I just yeah. got into an argument the other day with someone because he was misinforming on his platform about mm-hmm. how Shia Muslims and Ladakhi Buddhists and Ladakhi Shias um, supported Indian occupation. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you don't understand the legacy of interfaith and interfaith um, coherency that has existed in Kashmir is is hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. It it yes. goes beyond just now and the current moment and the current understanding of religion. Um, the way that Shia Muslims and the way that Sufism informs the valley is is so so deep and like yeah I totally totally echo Hassan on the on the front of like this is not a Muslim issue because again the point is that there's no one Muslim identity we're we're all very diverse. We're all very different. Um, yeah. Guys, thank you so much. I do, in the interest of time, uh, I do want to throw it to Muslim for uh, so that he can ask his question, um, and then we'll hopefully bring the conversation to an end. So, Muslim. So, I wanted to ask you guys: um, What is, is there any is there any platform, any social media page, charity, etc., that you guys do endorse as perhaps uh, giving out authentic information, or um, basically, what is the best way to learn about Kashmir and and the, the current conflict? Other than obviously speaking to more Kashmiris, <laughs> <laughs> I um, one Instagram page that has been really great is with Kashmir. Um, I would recommend with Kashmir a lot. Uh, it's run, I know, by primarily Kush- like uh, different, many different kinds of Kashmiris all over the world, and 
it, it they seem to be really really on top of um their their information and where they get it i mean i don't i don't want to um put any political entities out there because obviously i i can't really um vouch for anyone um but uh, there's a uh, kashmiri tv um they have a facebook page as well uh, which you can follow and i think they've been um providing pretty good content on on their page which is not biased from my opinion i would also recommend two newspapers which are really important um kashmirwala and rising kashmir rising kashmir i don't know if uh, you you maybe probably you you all know this but uh the editor in chief was actually murdered last year oh, in sure. lal chowk which is yeah. like just the central like market of shrinagar and the army just literally walked up to his office and killed him but rising kashmir has been doing really incredible reporting um for for a while and um i know that we've been speaking about kashmir and what's Kash- what's kashmiriness if is there re- if there really is a thing like kashmiriness but um i know that to wrap up i just wanted to ask what are what are three things you guys would say that everybody needs to know about kashmiri people i think one major thing uh of kashmiri people is people need to know is we're not we're not a fantasy which you've made us we made us out to be our land isn't a fantasy i think we need we need to bring it down and we need to bring it at a more humanity level because that's when people can relate to us and people and people can then like um sympathize with the kashmir population was right now that is not happening i think point. it's more like yeah i guess i would say yeah echoing that for sure um i would say kashmiris are an incredibly resilient people like many people who have lived on, under occupation palestinians mm-hmm. um kashmiri people have faced so much for so long in 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 uh, modern history essentially yeah and 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 kashmiri people continue to try to hold on to their sense of kashmiriness no matter how diverse it is like there's always like sana uh, sana said mentioned there's this deep desire to say yeah i'm kashmiri and i'm really proud of it and i'm mm-hmm. really proud to be of this heritage of this ancestry um so i would say kashmiri people are incredibly resilient that's that's what i would like people well, to know. what do you think is the third one because we have two um wow okay uh you know it's it's so it's so sad that because i mean growing, growing up growing up as a as a child of the diaspora i i don't haven't learned enough about kashmiri but from my interactions with you know kashmiris and um with kashmiris from kashmir i i would i would add to that 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 one one thing that i've that struck me out the most about kashmiris is just how passionate kashmiris are you know for kashmir it's 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 there's there's a degree of passion that kashmiris have for kashmir that i don't think i've seen i've i've met people i've spoken to people from all walks of life uh people from un- unfortunate oppressed backgrounds people from you know uh, minority backgrounds but the passion that kashmiris have for kashmir i don't i think it's unrivaled mm. and it's something people should understand that kashmiris will never give up this passion that they have for their mm. home wow i really do want to ask sana if you know if she as a as a poet uh mm-hmm. is comfortable uh sharing a small piece to help us bring this conversation to a much needed perspective you know um sana if you have anything that you would like to share for sure um yeah so this is a poem called uh i am off to meet the himalayas and it is published in puritan magazine which is like a local toronto magazine um himalaya sanskrit hima snow alaya dwelling a boat of snow teeth fall yellow from an old man's mouth cheeks bulging with time unsalted lips cross stitched there is karmic and there is bowed help taunt in the hands of men with burlap sacks for bones rivers for us i've met two rivers on the slope two arms lifted Now I ask the dawn to please them. I left with a seed buried under a mountain. Two lilies gutted the sky for some water. Petals plump, edges crisp. The clouds warmed. 
Over the sun is some new relief. That horizon is sweet, unknowing, prosperous. Wow. Thank you so much, Sana. Um, thank you. Well, thank you so much, both of you. Um, and Sana Said, honestly, I, uh, you know, conversations like these are, um, are paramount. I think everyone would agree that when it comes to restoring humanity and restoring, um, you know, humility, these mm -hmm. kinds of conversations are needed. And I hope what we've scratched the surface with or just begun to scratch the surface with this uh, conversation is helping viewers and lis sorry, listeners, I should say, uh, restore the humanity of the Kashmiri people and, um, and be active participants in, in helping them uh, further their struggle and bring it to, uh, bring it to the end that they desire. So, with that, thank you so much once again. I really appreciate this. Yeah, thank you so much for for asking us and for platforming this. Yeah, thank you so much. Honestly, it means a lot. Yeah, it was it was a very good discussion. I think we need more of them, and I think we need more platforms like this to kind of voice the Kashmiris and their opinions and further steps we can take to help Kashmir. Thank you for listening. All of the links mentioned can be found in our show notes. We're on Twitter as S Footsteps and everywhere else on social media as Sacred Footsteps.